you take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter 15? Revelation chapter number 15. Thank you for being here. Visitors, please make yourself at home. And we're awfully thankful for your presence today. Revelation chapter number 15. This is the first Sunday of the new year. I don't make much of things of that nature. Brother Troy did that for us this morning, didn't he? I thought he's going to go ahead and shell the corn. While he was up this morning, I told him so. And uh, he had us running our race. And that's what we need to be busy doing, running the race that God has set before us. Stay in our lane. Do what we've been called to do. And, uh, and keep the Lord Jesus out there in front of us and keep looking to him. Stand with us, please. Let's read all eight verses of Revelation chapter number 15. I'm interested in just before the bowls are brought out. Just before the bowls are brought out. Revelation 15, beginning with verse number 1. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. For in them uh, is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials, full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled just before the bowls are brought out. Brother Jimmy Franklin, would you pray for us, please, sir? Amen. Thank you for standing. Last Sunday, we gave you just the bare skeletal outline again and brought us right up to where we were as far as uh, where we are in uh, Revelation. You wouldn't have thought 18 months ago we'd ever got to chapter 15, would you? The next chapters of the book of Revelation we'll go. We'll take big portions at a time as we go, Lord willing. And we'll finish the book of Revelation sooner than you think we will. Uh, In Revelation, uh, it is, as we mentioned, on the front end. The scene goes from heaven to earth, um, back to heaven to earth, uh, over and again. Isn't that right? In chapters 1, 2, and 3, the scene is on earth. Chapters 4 and 5, it's around the throne in heaven. In chapter number 6, we're back on earth. Chapter number uh, 7, we're back in heaven. Uh, Chapters uh, 8 through 11... Uh, actually, 12, we find ourselves uh, again back uh, in heaven. Chapters 13 and 14, we've been back on earth. And now in chapter number 15, here we are once again. The scene is in heaven. And the scene is just prior to the vows. That's our Bible's word for it. We call it bowls. It's the same word. The vows of wrath that are going to be given to seven angels. Um, they're going to be poured out upon the earth. And as we mentioned, we've mentioned two or three occasions, these vials or these bowls, once they are open and poured out on the earth, it'll be toward the end of the tribulation. It'll all come in rapid succession. And it will be that, uh, it will be that, um, that the wrath of God will be poured out, the final wrath of God here upon the earth. These, these scenes between heaven and earth, they, they're contrasting, aren't they? Every time we've looked, once we got past the third chapter of Revelation, as we would look into heaven, we always see there's rejoicing and worship going on. And from that point on, as you begin to see scenes here upon the earth, there's judgment, there is wrath. And concerning the wrath of God, you also have to take into consideration the anger and the fury of God. 
sin must be punished. And I'll say something more about that at this morning. But God being holy demands that sin be punished in our lives. Now, thank God if you're saved today, Christ bore in, our, in his body our sins upon the cross of Calvary. And we rejoice in that. Donald said to me a while ago after the choir sung for the second time that song, um, that's one of my favorite that the choir sings. He said, you know, there ought to be shouting all over the house this morning. And, of course, he, his eyes were wet like many of yours were wet. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor seed begging bread. God's always made a way. When there seems to be no way, he still makes a way. And when you can't get out, he'll make a way in. If you'll be faithful to him, it's amazing. As a matter of fact, the Busbys are sitting here on the front row. They'll know what I'm fixing to say. I've heard that their husband and dad say over the years, it's just amazing what little efforts you put forth. And we don't do that in order for God to bless us, but I love what he says. I like how he puts it. It's amazing what little efforts you have put forth in order for God to just seem like God just blesses you in abundant fashion. And that's the truth, isn't it? Chapter number 15, we're going to look at the whole chapter this morning. It's the shortest chapter in all the 22 chapters of the book of uh, Revelation. And again, it's, uh, we're going to see where these vials or bowls of wrath are going to be poured out. Next week, we're going to begin looking at that next week. Look at chapter 16. Maybe you'll mark these. I have them marked in my Bible. Perhaps you'll mark them and look ahead before we get to it. But these seven angels are going to be given these seven vows. Again, they are bowls. In verse number 2 of chapter number 16, I won't read all the verses as we mention a verse, but just to just kind of point you to where we're headed. In chapter 16, verse 2, and the first went, that's the first angel, the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth. Verse number three, and the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea. Verse number four, and the third angel poured, uh, poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters. Verse number eight of chapter number 16, and the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun. Verse number 10, the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast. And verse number 12, and the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. And then the last one is in verse number 17. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. And so these seven vials are now, are now poured out. Chapter number 15, if the vials are not poured out, they're mentioned in chapter number 15, but they're not poured out until chapter number 16. Then what's going on in chapter 15? In chapter number 15, we're getting ready. We're getting ready for these vials, these last judgments that will take place during tribulation. We're getting ready for them to be poured out. As a matter of fact, we'll speak to you under three headings this morning. There's a sign given. There's a sign. It'll be the third sign in the book of Revelation that's been given. There's a sign going to be given, and that will signify that it's time. It's time to get the bowls out. And then you'll find that not only that, but they mention, mentioning these heavenly scenes, the saints in heaven. You'll find that they're rejoicing. And all is well today, child of God, on the other side. It may not be well on this side at times, but it's okay over on the other side. God's not wringing his hands. The redeemed of the Lord that have died in the Lord and have gone before us, all's well on the other side. Now, you, you take comfort in that. If you've got a loved one on the other side, they're not worried about all this that's going on. They're not worried about what took place with the general that was taken out by our military uh, force this week. And, and I say what's already been said around about before the service this morning if we, ever, if we ever needed to pray for our country's president and for our military, it's in the day in which we live. But I don't know about you, but when I see things happening like what has happened in the media this past week and then supposed threats, uh, it just makes me re- re- mindful of the fact this thing's shaping up, friend. Some of these things are going to happen to put it in place, and that bear from the north is going to creep down, is he not? Russia's going to get involved in all this one of these days, we're getting out of here, child of God, and it's okay over on the other side. It's all right over there. But in chapter number 15, we're getting ready. We've already seen the opening of the seven seals of the seven-sealed book. And then we saw the sounding of the seven trumpets. Now, at the sounding of the seventh trumpet, you remember we took that break, that parenthetical break, chapters 12, 13, and 14, that block of Scripture, that you just take it, pull it out, Start right back at the beginning of the tribulation. It'll take you all the way to the end. It'll fill in some details that had not uh, previously been filled in. I want you to notice with me, this is a preview. 
We've already seen this. This is getting ready for these vials to be poured out. Uh, We've already seen a preview of this, though, in chapter number 14, verse number 10, where we read that the wrath of God, if you want to follow along with me there, is poured out without mixture uh, into the cup of his indignation. Now, the wrath of God, these judgments that we've already seen, they've been mingled with long-suffering. You remember the last two or three messages we've preached, we've We've tried to emphasize the long-suffering of God, his suffering long, his putting up with his patience. But now when you come to this stage, the long-suffering of God is exhausted. There's no more mercy to be found. There is coming a time, as we have emphasized two or three different times, as of late, where the God of the second chance and the third chance will be the God of the last chance. And he will also be the God of no more chance. Now that time is coming. Notice with me, firstly, the sign given in heaven. Verse number one, and I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Again, this is, as we mentioned a moment ago, the third sign, pointed sign, particular sign that's actually uh, stated, mentioned in Revelation. The first two was in chapter 12, verse one, then verse three. The first one had to do with Israel. The second one had to do with the devil. And now this third one has to do with this sign given in order to signify these bowls of wrath are about to be taken by these angels and poured out. In chapter number 12, verse number 1, the Bible says, And there appeared a great wonder. It's the same word for the word sign in chapter 15. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, the Bible says, A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. That's the nation Israel. We established that when we came to chapter 12. Verse number 3 of the same chapter, the Bible says, And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Same word for sign, the word wonder. A sign's to point you to something. That's the purpose of the sign. There's a lot of people chasing signs. I've often wondered when they hit it face first and they come to a screeching halt, what are they going to look for then? A sign is put there to point you to something. And we're being pointed to these end-time events as we go through the book of Revelation. Second sign, uh, chapter 12, verse number 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, that is a sign, And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. Now, the second sign is this great red dragon that we established is Satan. This third sign, verse number one of chapter number 15, part of our text today, and I saw another sign, one and the same, one just like the two previous that we've seen, a sign, a wonder. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels, having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God, the sign uh, given in heaven. This sign is, is God's wrath, and it has seemed to be final. It seemed to be final. And it's interesting, he uses this word plagues. The idea of this word plague is, is a blow that is delivered, a swift blow uh, that is delivered. It's, it's a wound, a great wound, an, an open wound. If somebody were to hit you with a club or, or, or a piece of machinery swung loose and, and hit you, they'd be, a, they'd be a wound, they'd be a death that type of a wound, a mortal wound that could be delivered to you. And figuratively, that's the idea here. A calamity is about to take, take place on planet Earth. In verse number one, notice carefully that these seven plagues are called the seven last plagues. The last strokes of his judgment upon the earth. Then in verse number one, notice this. There's an interesting word here, the word field. Watch this word. John also writes of these seven last plagues. In them, he says, is filled. There's our word. In him is filled up the wrath of God. The, the word filled comes from the word um, tetelestai. Am I saying that correctly? Tetelestai, tetelestai. I got Alan Carr to help me with that yesterday. Tetelestai. If I forget that and, ask, and have to ask you, you tell me how to say that again. That's a Greek word. That's the word that Jesus used from the cross and in one of his seven final sayings from the cross of Calvary, you remember he, he cried. He said, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. But he said, it is finished. In the neuter, the word it. What's he talking about? He's talking about the atonement. He's talking about the blood work. He's talking about fulfilling the Father's uh, desire and that uh, he died upon the cross of Calvary for our sin. He said, it is finished. Say it for him again. To t- Tell a test, say it, somebody say it for me. To tell us that, I'm going to get it. I'm going to give y'all help me, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I was pronouncing it all week, and I knew it was wrong. And so I messaged Brother Carr, and I said, I need some help. And he come back with his beard down to his belly, and he said, to tell us that, 
Brother Kevin's how I say it, to Telestai. I'm going to have to ask you again. But that's a very picturesque word and, and very descriptive and was used in a variety of ways. Back in John's day and Paul's day and in the New Testament times, it was a word that was used between a servant and his master. The master would give him an order, would give him a command or a task uh, to fulfill, and, and the slave or the servant would come back and he would say, it is finished. <laughs> say it again for me. To tell us that, that's what he'd say. And it meant, I finished it, I completed it. It's, it's, it's completed, whole heart fulfilled. It was also a word that was used by the priest. The Jewish people would bring their sacrifice to the priest, and he would check it from head to toe. He would pull, if it was a lamb, he would, he would pull the, the wool back, and he would look to make sure it was without spot and without blemish, and he would say, to Telestai, it is finished. In other words, he would say, the sacrifice is suitable. It's complete. It's perfect. It was also used by an artist that might paint your portrait. They'd back up and look at it after putting the final touches on it, and they would say, it is finished. I can say that better than I can say the Greek word. It was used by a merchant whenever you would go. I was talking with Harry just the other day about a shotgun I had many years ago. He bought me for Christmas one year. I grew up hunting and fishing. Uh, uh, When he got off at Brookwood on Friday afternoon, you as well as get ready. You were either running trout lines or running dogs. I mean, one of the two. But one year he bought me a Browning BPS 12-gauge shotgun, gold trigger, imprinted, and, uh, and man, you talk, it loaded from the bottom, kicked the hulls back out the bottom, smooth as shooting, um, pump shotgun I've ever shot. I'm going to, uh, it's just a smooth shooting gun. But I was asking him about it. I said, you remember that gun from years ago? He said, I remember it well. He said, I went into Dyke's Needs. How many of y'all remember Dyke's Needs down in Ekru? And Don Browning, he said something he said something to Mr. Dyke about a shotgun, wanted to buy me a shotgun because I love to hunt. I'd get off school bus sometimes if I didn't have to work uh, in the community somewhere doing odd end chores and jobs for people. I, I'd go squirrel hunting or I'd go rabbit hunting or I'd just, I love to hunt. Used to could knock a dove. If I shot him, son, he'd fail. It's been a long time since I've had uh, been uh, that kind of a shot. But, but nevertheless, I asked him, I said, uh, you remember the shotgun? He said, remember it. He said, man, we didn't have a lot of extra money. He said, went, in, went over to Mr. Dyke's. And said, I asked him, said, you got a shotgun. I want to uh, buy the boy a shotgun. It said, Don Browning. How many of y'all knew Don? I mean, you could, Don could, it'd take Don a year to get something said, wouldn't it? He's a good man. He's with the Lord now. But said, Don told Mr. Dykes, he'd got this 12-gauge Browning over here under the cabinet. He looked at it and shucked it a time or two. And he said, look, said, I'll take it but I'll have to pay you out by the week. And he said, uh, he said, I'll stick it back on the shelf. It'll be here. He said, I'll have it paid for before Christmas. And you see what Mr. Dyke did was when he made that final payment, he wrote on that tab. Harry said he wrote on that bill of sale, uh, paid in full. That's the idea of this work. It means it's been completed. So it was used of a merchant. It was used by an artist. It was used by the priest. It was used of a slave and his master. When Jesus completed his work on Calvary, and he said, it is finished. He was God's perfect lamb, God's perfect sacrifice. He paid sin's debt in full. But when you bring that word over here to the book of Revelation, and stick it in this 15th chapter in the first verse, what this word, to tell us die, whatever it is. Did I say it right that time? Somebody ring a bell. To tell us die, what that signifies is, again, that these bowls of wrath, these seven plagues are the final strokes of God's judgment upon the earth. God's wrath is seen to be final. Number two, God's wrath is seen in its fullness. Look at verse number seven, if you'll skip down to there. The Bible says in one of the four beasts, you remember we've already met these four beasts. And one of the four beasts, verse 7 says, gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials uh, full of the wrath of God uh, who liveth forever and ever. This word full is an interesting word as well. It means to swell out or to spill over. Uh, so, uh, so this word full gives you the idea of swelling out or, or spilling over. These golden vials full, spilling out of the wrath of God, uh, pouring over of the wrath of God. When God gets to hear, there's no withholding. There's no limit to the wrath of God. 
Much like we've all seen images on the TV or in an encyclopedia book where uh, water was uh, rivers and streams poured into a reservoir and water, the, uh, the uh, spillway can't seem to hold, hold uh, all of the water and so it begins to just uh, spill and seep over the dam. And then eventually maybe there's a breach in the dam and, and, and then that will cause a break in the dam. And because of that, many of lives have been lost over the years and we've all been a witness to that. As a matter of fact, I Googled some of that this week. In Johnstown, Pennsylvania, they've had three major floods. In 1989, they lost 2,200 people due to the Johnstown flood. They blamed three individuals for that that owned the property and were responsible for building the levee. They'd been told time and again, it's, it's, it's leaking, it's spilling over the top. There's going to be a breach in it and our loved ones are going to lose their lives. And they didn't pay much attention. Of course, uh, one night after torrential rains, uh, uh, there was a break in the dam, and eventually it just burst forth. Back in 1889 is when the first uh, horrendous uh, flood took place in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Again, over 2,000 people uh, lost uh, their lives. Back in that day, they spent uh, some $14 million, brought over into today's economy. That's about $500 million. That's the kind of damage it did, all because three men ignored the breach in the dam. We all remember Hurricane Katrina, don't we? It depends on what source you read. Either somewhere between 1,400 and 1,900 lives were lost because of Hurricane Katrina. We all know that we remember we learned that New Orleans sits like a bowl. Part of New Orleans is one feet above sea level. Some of the rest of it is two feet above sea level. You remember they kept showing us on Fox and CNN and all the media outlets that the water was beginning to pour over the levee. And eventually there was a break and 80% of New Orleans was put underwater. And many people lost their lives because of the flooding. You, you see here these final judgments, beloved, are spilling over. You remember we talked about that word ripe last week, how that that speaks of being overripe. This thing's been coming for a mighty long time. These seven vows, these seven bowls, they are an expression of the fullness of God's wrath. Back over in Revelation 14, verse number 10, when we got a glimpse of this, it'll be pouring out without mixture. In other words, undiluted, the wrath of God. This sign's going to be given. Number two, you notice the saints in heaven, notice that they are rejoicing. And again, may I reiterate, every time you see the saints in heaven, they're always worshiping, they're always celebrating, they're always jubilant, they're always beloved, they're always rejoicing. And nothing has changed with the scenery in heaven. They still rejoice. They still praise God for his person. They still praise God for what he's done. They're praising God over there for what he's doing, for who he is and for what he is about to do. They praise him for his greatness. They praise him for his mercy. Two particulars I want you to notice here in these saints and them rejoicing in heaven. Number one, you see that they stand to their feet. And number two, you see that they sing a song. In verse number two, the saints are standing. You'll notice the verse with me. Verse number two, and I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. This is the second time we've seen the sea of glass in the book of Revelation. First time we saw it was in chapter number 4, verse number 6, which says, and before the throne that there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. You remember we talked about that sea being like unto crystal. It's transparent, and, and also it is fixed, a sea of glass. But this time when you see the sea of glass, it's mingled with fire. According to this verse, it's mingled with fire. Again, it says something to the holiness of God and the judgment that is on the way. I was looking over this about 6 o'clock this morning or a few minutes before, and I could not help but think about the fact that because God is holy, he must judge sin, and he cannot ignore sin. I thought about the fact that when you choose to sin, you hear people say with their head stuck up in the clouds and they're all high, uh, haughty and high and mighty, I'll do what I want to do. You can choose to sin, but you cannot choose the consequences of that sin. The law of government will kick in. and You will reap what you sow. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? You take a young man and a young woman that's in their high school years, and they begin to court each other. If they do not remain pure, the consequences of their sin is that there may be a baby 
that is born out of wedlock. Isn't that right? That's a consequence of sin. I, I know someone that I went to high school with, went to elementary into high school uh, with. When we went to school, they didn't have a middle school. They didn't have a kindergarten back then. When you had a tire of shoes, somebody say amen. We could finger paint too. But there's someone I went to school with. Did you know because of extended drug abuse, they had a major stroke, part of the skull has been removed. And there's someone has to care for them on a regular basis. I'm talking about my age. It was in my grade. I was reading about two weeks ago about a testimony of a family. Their son thought that... Um, Thought that mom and dad and the preacher and the church and the Sunday school teacher and the deacons down at the church thought they had it all wrong. While they had all lived in sin, got away with it, he thought he could too. He was a star athlete and was always elected to the who's who in high school. Nothing could touch him. One night in a drunken stupor and after smoking marijuana, uh, he's on the balcony. There's an apartment building and uh, 10 feet away is another uh, balcony and he's going to play Superman. He's going to jump from one balcony to the other. He was a, an, an exhibitionist and uh, he was used to getting attention. So he was going to jump in his drunken stupor from one balcony to another and he landed about 30 feet down, nearly straight down on his head. And he wound up in a vegetated state for the next 32 years of his life. Sin brings with it its consequences and when sin brings with it its consequences, beloved, there's nobody you can blame for your sin except you. God is holy. You mark that down. That's not preached in our Baptist pulpits anymore. God is holy. You make light of sin all you want to. You can make it a joke all you want to. But either your sin was judged on the cross of Calvary or your sin shall be judged in eternity. Either the wrath of God was absorbed in Christ's body, for those of us who are saved, or the wrath of God shall be felt for all eternity in hell if you reject Christ. Somebody say amen right there. This world that has rejected God's offer of grace, and even up to this point in Revelation, and we'll even see another invitation given in the last chapter, but it's been rejected. It's been spurned. It's been, it's been turned away from time and time again. And, and beloved, I'm telling you, there's going to come when there's no more chances, no more opportunities uh, to come to Christ. But when you see these saints in heaven, you see that they're standing, which says something of victory. You, you remember when Stephen was stoned in Acts chapter number 7, you remember who stood? Everybody else was, was stoning him. He was a preaching deacon. Jesus stood. And we don't know that he did this. But if he didn't, he did something similar to this. He stood. You might say Stephen lost the fight. Stephen won the fight. Stephen won the fight. And even when you look at characters in the Bible such as John the Baptist and Herod, you might say when well, Herod won, no, Herod didn't win. John won. He gave his head for the cause that he stood for, and that being the cause of Christ. Herod, as far as we know, is in hell. John's over on the other side, standing. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. In Revelation 12, in verse number 11, we've already seen these saints, and uh, these tribulation saints. The Bible says in Revelation 12, verse number 11, who love not their lives unto death. They face hardships. They face pain. Many of them will be put to death, beloved. Many of them put to death. And yet here they stand. The saints are standing. The saints rejoicing in heaven. Here we see these tribulation saints. They are standing. They are victorious. They are overcomers. What an example they are for believers in our time. They are an example to faithfulness. We, we have no excuse to be unfaithful. Me, you, you, me, us, y'all, them. We have no excuse. We have no excuse. As a matter of fact, most of us are so, uh, when we're frustrated, we're frustrated because our cause is not supported. In other words, I'm not supported. If we just learned more of this word, we would learn that we stand for Christ. We let the chips fall where they may, and we stand for Christ, and we walk on. 
in the face of adversity. Not only do you see the saints standing, but here they are singing, singing. Lindsay didn't catch me earlier. We were singing that song, Donald. And I thought the bass was supposed to come in there, and I do a poor job at it, but I like to try. And a lot of times I'll look around at Lindsay, and I'll kind of raise my eyebrows as if to ask her, is this where I come in? And she ignored me today. I'm mad. I'm mad as a devil at her. I'm just mad at her now. Did you know we'll all sing on cue on the other side, and we'll, we'll do that? But here are these tribulation saints singing. Look at verses 3 and 4. They're going to sing two songs, two songs, verses 3 and 4. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy, word, thy ways, thou King of saints, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name. For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. John describes him singing in verse number 3, two songs. It's the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. The first song in the Bible that we find is the song of Moses. And the last song, the song of the Lamb. The song of Moses was sung by the Israelites after they crossed the Red Sea. God had brought them out... God had brought them through. And the last song that's sung in the Bible, at least up to this point, is the song that's sung by these tribulation saints. And they sing because God had brought them out. And God has brought them through. And I want to tell you something. If God has brought you out of sin, how many of us remember years ago bitterness being a part of our life, foul language being a part of our life, substance abuse being a part of our lives, lying and thieving being a part of our lives. How many of us remember what God brought us out from? I never want to forget what he brought me out from. I'm like the little boy that was adopted by a rich fellow, and the maid kept watching him. Every morning he'd eat his breakfast, get his little tummy full, right back up the steps. He'd pull a shoebox out, take the old rags that he showed up on the place with, take out an old shirt he wore every day, and a pair of blue jeans he wore every day, and a pair of shoes. He had no socks, nor underclothes, but he'd take them out, and he'd roll them back up, put them in the box, shove them back under the bed, down the steps, and he'd go play for the day. The lady couldn't understand why he kept those tattered rags. So one day she followed him up after breakfast. She said, what are you doing? He said, I'm looking at my old clothes. And she said, why? He said, well, you just don't know where I come from, what life was like before my father adopted me. He said, I don't ever want to forget where he brought me from. Oh, beloved, I don't ever want to forget where he brought me from either. But not only has he brought me out, he's brought me through. Oh, there are places. Places that he's brought me through. I'm not saying I don't get addled, but one of the reasons why I don't get so addled and want to jump out of the saddle every time the news comes across with a bad report or I get a phone call is because God has brought me through so many times. Don't take this the wrong way. My faith is not in you, and I have great faith in you. But my faith is in the God you trust. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. You know what I'm thinking about right now here? Denise is doing this number right here. I can remember, I'm thinking distinctly about New Hope Baptist Church, Mantachi, Mississippi, a number of years ago. I preached on the sufferings of Christ, and you cried all the way through it. And those tears, just like the tears this morning, are testimony to the fact that, hey, I've been there. I've been at hard living when it was hard to get through. God was with me before I entered the valley. He was with me through the valley. And now he's with me still. You ought to have a song today, child of God. You remember we've, we've preached the outline to you before of that first song. Exodus chapter number 15, verses 1, 2, and 3. Maybe verse 4 is included in there. They sing of salvation. They sing of strength. That's something you had this morning when you... When you got out of your bedclothes and begin to ready yourself, God gave you a measure of strength. I know some people my age that don't have strength. Let alone somebody's old as Chris Wilburn. Amen. <laughs> song, song. The song of Moses was sung at the Red Sea. The song of the Lamb will be sung at the Glassy Sea. The song of Moses is a song of triumph. God had triumphed over Egypt, over Pharaoh, over the horse and his rider for the Israelites. The song of the Lamb is a song of triumph. 
God helps them to triumph over the Antichrist, the false prophet, the mark of the beast. Uh, he helps them to triumph over the devil in this world. And so they sing this song of triumph. Both songs are songs of redemption. Both songs are songs of deliverance. Both songs are songs of triumph. Both are fitting songs for the saints. Both of them. We have some very gifted singers here, don't we? As a matter of fact, you ever stop to consider just how gifted our people are? We have some very gifted people here. And, and I love what you sing don't ever get to the place where it embarrasses me when I go to a Baptist church to preach for revival services. And, and sometimes it's a surprise because someone's been invited, but they'll get up and they'll sing about, you know, drugs or drinking and how God delivered, you know. and uh, Just sing about him. Sing about grace. Sing about deliverance. Sing about where we're headed. Sing about the fact that he brought you out. Sing about the fact that he'll bring you through. Sing little as much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth nor fame. There is a crown and you can win it. If you go in Jesus' name. I like singing like that. When you get to heaven, it's going to be good singing. Matter of fact, going to be better singing. Going to be best singing. The best singing at all. It's going on right over on the other side. Can you imagine it getting better? It's going to get better over on the other side. Some of you sing like I sing. Sometimes you hear me come through the door around here somewhere, and I'll be singing. I'll say something to you. When you call my hand about it, I'll say, well, I should have become a singer. But if you've heard me sing, you know I didn't miss my calling. Second revival I ever had as a pastor, a host pastor, Brother R.J. Wildman preached it. He got up one night, the lights went out. He preached on the grace of God. Just, he quoted more scripture. And, but he got up and he turned around. He said, I sure am glad God didn't call Brother Kevin Merritt and Brother Doug Jones to sing. I'm glad he called them to preach. I'm kind of like the woman. She liked to sing. They'd go home. She sung in the choir. They'd go home. She'd sing. And the more she'd sing, the louder she'd get. And the louder she'd get. Every time the man'd go to the front yard. And the lady was... The lady's upset about it, a little feeling dejected and down and hurt. And so she asked her husband, she said, I like to sing. He said, he said yeah, I like for you to sing. If that's what you want, I want you to sing. She said, well, don't you, don't you think I sing beautifully? And he just, him hauled around like a bunch of these Democrats, didn't say anything much. <laughs> she said, look, I'm just a little hurt. And he said, why? She said, well, when I go to getting loud, you go out in the front yard. Why do you do that? And he dropped his head and he said, I don't want the neighbors to think I'm beating up on you anymore. <laughs> Tracy, that's about how I sing. I love to sing, but you wouldn't love it if I did. I want you to consider where we have ended our messages, the last three or four messages in the book of Revelation. I want you to consider the door of salvation closed in heaven. I want you to do that. I want you to consider that with me. We get a glimpse of the temple, the temple of the tabernacle of testimony. He included all those words in that, you know. Some believe that when God gave to Moses the pattern for the tabernacle, some scholars believe that Moses actually saw this tabernacle, this temple in heaven. I'm, I'm not wise enough to know. I, I don't know. Maybe some of you do know and can point me to the answer to that. I, I, I don't know about that. But in verse number 5, the Bible says, uh, And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. was opened. We do know that the tabernacle and the temple on earth was a pattern of that which stands in heaven, right? We do know that. We do know that from the testimony of Scripture. But he mentions the tabernacle of the testimony. What's the testimony? Well, it was in the Ark of the Covenant underneath that lid, right? It was the two tablets. It was the two tables of stone that God took his own finger in stone and wrote the Ten Commandments. The first four are Godward, and the last six is manward. As a matter of fact, all the moral code on planet Earth, somehow or another, either directly or indirectly, gets its origin from those ten laws. It's God's perfect ten. It's God's perfect ten. It's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. We've got so many other laws on the books because man won't follow those first ten. 
If we just get back to the first 10, you don't need these thousands that we have on the books in the United States of America. But here, here's one thing that you learn about these, this testimony, this, these two tables. You learn that, uh, that God has never lowered his standard of holiness nor what he expects of man. Never has he done that. His holiness is impeccable in all of his attributes. Those Ten Commandments have not changed. He testified to his holiness and also testified to what he expects out of you and I, what he expected out of his people Israel in the Old Testament. I want you to notice this tabernacle, this temple in heaven. Notice, first of all, it is seen as being opened, and then it's seen as being restricted or being closed. Watch this, verse number 5. Notice God's angels here surrounded and uh, are in this open temple. The temple's opened at this point. Then we'll look at verse number 6. Verse number 5 says, And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Was open. Now look at verse number 6. We read, And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, having their breasts girded with seven, uh, with, excuse me, with, with golden girdles. With golden girdles. And here they are. John describes them being clothed here in pure and white linen, which speaks of the purity of the one they serve. And, and then he speaks of them, how they're wearing golden girdles, which speaks of the majesty, the splendor, the glory of our Lord. In verse number 7, the Bible says, And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials, full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. One of these four beasts that we met earlier in the book of Revelation hands these seven bowls. It'd be just like you holding a bowl. Now, they won't look like a bowl, I'm sure, like we have in our cupboards back at home. But it would be about like you having a very dangerous poison in your hand. You don't want to slosh it nor spill it, right? But these are going to be sloshed. They're going to be poured out on purpose, deliberately. The temple is open at this point. But then notice we're in verse number 8. Notice here that we'll find a closed temple. Talking about God's salvation, the door to salvation being closed. In the temple, in heaven, verse number eight. This grieves me. And I want want to give you just just a slight bit of my heart. There have been several of us around the last two months around here that have felt prompted in our prayer lives. We have felt grieved in our hearts in these Sunday services. We have felt as though someone who knows not Christ has entered among us and left, and you still reject him. There's coming a time when there's there's coming a time when the door is going to be closed, when enough's going to be enough. When you will have turned your back for the last time, then God will turn his back. There's coming a day when the door is going to be closed. I'll tell you what salvation will not do for you. It will not make you cocky and arrogant. I have never felt like I'm better than you if, if I'm saved and you're lost. I'll tell you what salvation does for me. It pushes me down on my face because I realize my utter unworthiness. To know Christ and the free pardon of sin. The free, free pardon of sin. I believe that's true of every child of God. Unless you're full of yourself. I, I believe it's true of every child of God. I sit and watch this lady Sunday after Sunday weep. She ain't got over being saved yet. She'd mess up a liberal church somewhere. She comes in some Wednesdays already crying, gets out of the pickup truck, squalling. I remember a Sunday, I hadn't had an opportunity to, to embarrass the R's yet. I'm going to embarrass Whitney. I remember a Sunday, I shared this with Miss Angie and Miss Morgan. I remember a Sunday, Jay Pruitt was singing. And you'd look down at that boy and you'd wipe tears and you'd look back up. I'm going to tell you, if you've ever been saved, 
I'll tell you what that'll do to break you. Just knowing the hand of God is upon your life. Am I right or wrong? You can stray from him. I get that. But you're always mindful. Have you ever heard a backslider make a big trip in the world? You've heard me say this before. It's been a long time since I said it. But to make a big round in the world. But they always come back with the same testimony. They say it different. But every backslider eventually comes home or God takes them home. Right? We got Bible on that. But they all come back saying the same thing. I was wrong and I knew it the whole time. I knew it the whole time. A closed temple. Verse number 8. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Access is restricted here. It's closed off. I want you to find two places in Scripture. When we get to these two places, I'll say very little about them. And I'm going to bring, the, bring my part of the service to a close. Revelation 14. It's right back over Revelation 14. Then Matthew 25. Matthew 25. I'm going to read several verses out of Matthew chapter number 25. Remember, we've already seen a, seen a, a similar scene. You remember when the temple, the earthly temple, the first earthly temple was dedicated. In Second Chronicles chapter number 7, verse number 2, the Bible says, And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. You remember that? You remember that? The priest couldn't enter in. The smoke so filled the temple. In this temple in heaven, when you get to this point in the tribulation, nobody can enter in. Nobody else is welcome. Nobody else is allowed. It's forbidden. Salvation is gone. It's gone. cannot express the depths of my heart this morning. I wish I could put into words what's working in me right now. I fear that someone in the name of church membership, and I don't do this. I don't go from church to church and try to stir confusion and draw a second or third or fourth profession of faith out of somebody. Matter of fact, I think preachers that do that, somebody ought to take the belt off to them. You do know that you can get saved and get to the point you so doubt your salvation that you even forget, according to the writings of Peter, you forget that you've been washed from your old sins. Did you know another profession of faith don't fix that for you? You know what fixes that with you and for you? It is confessing your sin before God. That is, quit blaming your mama and your dad and your church and your and your buddies, and come over on God's side and say, I see it for what it is. It's wickedness, it's divisive, it's sin, it's ungodliness. God, I'm sorry. It's sin. God says, tell you what we'll do. We'll cleanse it. I'll forgive you. If you'll do that, I'll forgive you. I'll cleanse you of it. We'll go on like it never happened. That's what you do. When doubt creeps in and you know the Lord, there's coming a time. And I fear somebody will leave this service today in this shape. You think you're all right because you belong to this church or you come to this church or you go to another church. Look with me at Revelation 14, 9 through 11. You remember we preached on this. Just a couple of messages ago, we preached on this. Matter of fact, about three messages back. Revelation 14, 9 through 11, and the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Matthew chapter 25. Those who will find themselves in that category that we've just read about and we're speaking of just now will be the objects of God's wrath. Perish the fault. 
perish the thought that a family would go to heaven and leave their father behind. Perish the thought that a family would go to heaven and leave their mother behind. Perish the thought that a family would go to heaven and leave their son behind. And perish the thought that a family would go to heaven and leave their daughter behind. You know, if we really believe this Bible and our legislators, legislators did, they, they might, instead of this physical abuse children endure, they might write some people up and jail them for spiritual abuse, which is worse. Matthew 25, it's the parable of the ten virgins. Five are called wise, five are called foolish. The wise are called wise because they made themselves ready. The foolish are called foolish because they were not ready. Verses 1 to 10, I'm going to lay an emphasis on verse 10. I'm going to read one more verse out of this chapter, and I promise you I'm done. Matthew 25, 1 to 10. Watch this. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. Verse 10, watch this. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. And the door was shut. I'll tell you what I think of just now is that ark of Noah's. God opened the door. God had the door built. It was open. There came a time God closed the door. God closed the door. And there's coming the day when God will close the door. Verse number 13 of Matthew 25. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. I want to just remind you this morning in closing. God's offer of salvation is... That Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day, so that all that would come unto him will be, can be, are saved. But now that opportunity, that window is narrowing and closing. It's closing. And one day God's going to completely shut the door. God's going to shut the door just before the bowls are brought out. God's going to give a sign. It'll be seen in heaven. The saints aren't going to stop. They're not going to stop what they're doing. They're going to keep singing. Those tribulation saints are going to stand on the sea of glass mingled with fire. And down here on earth, the door at that point is closed. Now, there's a door open, a door of opportunity to come to Christ today. I can't come to Christ for you. Your parents can't come to Christ for you. Your youngins can't come to Christ for you. You got to do that on your own. Would you stand?